In this series, we discuss anxiety in depth. We acknowledge that this content may be difficult. We encourage you to care for your mental safety and well-being. Mental health matters. With so much information about mental health and spiritual care out there, where do you start? Let's start here. A podcast hosted by licensed professionals with experience both as clients and as clinicians. Today, I'm really excited for who's joining us on the Let's Start Here podcast. We have myself, Yolandi Rouse, and Stephen Price. Hey, everybody. And then most exciting person I feel like we have had is Bill Venable. Hi. Hello. Welcome to the show. Bill, why don't you tell us a little bit about your journey with the life care, this this little company that we work for. Do you know anything about how it got started? Yeah, I was there in the beginning, I think in the summer of 2008, I was going to a conference with local and I knew the Lord was leading me to leave where I was at and I was in a great practice, but for some reason I knew he was leading me and my wife prayed for me, something good happened. And then I met these two people that I didn't expect to be there. And they said they wanted to form this new kind of Christian counseling ministry in the area. I thought, wow, I know I'm getting ready to leave. And so we got together and we formed life here. Wanted it to... Gosh, I'm trying to remember our vision for life care. I should know that. The one that was highlighted counseling and supervision and prayer. And eventually our fourth foundation was psychiatry. Yeah, and supervision. Both Stephen and I have been supervised by Bill. So honestly, if we do anything wrong, blame Bill. Just kidding. <laughs> I was going to say, there's... Hope you guys are going to be okay. I didn't mess you up. <laughs> That's right. This is all your fault, Bill. This <sighs> is your brainchild, even if you didn't come up with it yourself. So, Bill, we've been talking about anxiety. I remember being in supervision with you and saying, Bill, like, I feel like I know the really complex stuff, but every single time I try to differentiate between like depression or anxiety and try to really navigate some of I feel like what I should know and it should be just really simple and easy. I keep getting confused and I just remember really struggling with some of the what I considered the basics of just understanding what is anxiety and what is depression and that's what we're talking about today and I'd love to hear from you your definition of anxiety or what you understand anxiety to be and anything you really got on that topic. Yeah, I remember years ago doing a study from the Bible on anxiety and um, I knew enough about Greek and Hebrew, the, the roots of words and verbs. And so I did find in some of the newer translations you know, the word anxious and anxiety couldn't find in English word verb for anxiety because there isn't one angst not really a word so in the greek found 
a couple of places. And one of them was in Mark 3, where this is a time when Jesus' family wanted to come and take charge of him because they said he was crazy. And then the Pharisees jumped on that bandwagon. And they said, yeah, not only is he crazy, but he's possessed by Beelzebub. And really going after him, I think that was a strategy to try to take Jesus out. But he just simply said, if the house is divided against itself, it cannot stand. If a strong man is divided against itself, it cannot stand. And so this might have nothing to do with anxiety, except the root word for anxiety is divided. And so what I might have said to you years ago, Yolanda, you know, when you go to the grocery store, and you see some apples and you're getting ready to get some and it's Fuji and you're getting ready to grab one. But then you look beside it, there's Gala. Oh, those are good. And then you look beside that and there's Pink Lady. Those are my favorite. They're so good. And oh, but there's Granny Smith. And oh, there's Golden Delicious. And oh, no, there's so much to choose from. I'm anxious. I can't make a decision. And so... Biblically, one de definition of anxiety is I can't make a decision between two or more choices. I love that definition. I think that's, I've used it over and over again with my clients, but then also with myself. And I think the question is, okay, Bill, if somebody does feel split or divided, what do they do next? What is the process of moving forward or getting out of this dilemma that they might be having. If it's that type of anxiety, I think there's other realms or types of worry. Or anxiety. I think those are synonyms, worry and anxiety. I think it's if there's some kind of way to remove the choices or some kind of way to, to highlight what is really most important so that we can be single focused and wholehearted and not divided. Anxiety, my understanding, is forward thinking. So we worry about something that often hasn't happened yet. That makes sense. I think like the biggest thing that I work with the younger generation is that clarity that you just said. You're divided, you're split. Okay, but what is the priority here? What do you want? What are your values that can really create some and actually move you forward? Because I, from the understanding that I get about anxiety is you're in the future mentally, but physically you're not really there. And a lot of the times anxiety can the disorder of anxiety can really stop you from actually doing something or moving forward in any direction. And so you're in this hamster on a wheel kind of effect of just re-looping and replaying. And that is where then the despair comes in or the depression comes in of hopelessness of nothing is going to change. And that's been my experience as a therapist working with the younger generation of the things that I'm seeing the lack of clarity, and then let's not get started on social media and the internet and how much that brings to the younger generation. I was reading the book, Unwinding Anxiety, and the author talks about the internet should be something that should be 
we think the more information that we know about something, it should be easier to make a decision. However, if that's the case, then why don't we have more clarity than ever? Like, why is that backfiring on us so hardcore? And the reality of it is just because it's on the internet doesn't mean it's the truth. And so the shock value of things is being rewarded rather than the truth and false information spreads six times faster than the truth. I know I could just drop the mic. Yeah. When I think about that and compare it to the Apple analogy, right? It's, it's the amount of information that's available doesn't make choosing any easier, right? Having 20 varieties of apples to choose from. And actually, I think I read somewhere the other day, just for fun, that there were enough varieties of apples that you could eat a different variety every day for 20 years or something, that there's that many varieties of apples. I was baffled. I may not be exactly right, but it's a long time. But that having more choices, even if the choice is just contrasting information, right? Doesn't make it any easier to decide. And so I think a lot of times where people get hung up and what anxiety does to people is it makes it impossible to decide. And so they find themselves in these loops of, well, if I choose this apple, what if I don't like that apple? But if I choose this apple, what if it doesn't, what if it upsets my stomach? Or And so it's this decision tree that really has no solution. And so the answer is, is not making a choice at all and living without apples probably. What would life be without apple? Don't ask my husband. He's allergic. <laughs> but yeah, and then you think about Catherine will be on episodes in the future talking about OCD. And one of the OCDs that she brings up is the worrying about gender. And right now there are so many different ways to identify. And from what I'm seeing with the people that I'm sitting with, it's really confusing and they're scared of choosing the wrong gender and what that would mean. And they're really in this fear place of lack of clarity because there's so many outlets that are giving them these options, these vocabulary and making that decision at 8, 9, 10, 11 and really struggling with that is just another thing that is being brought to the table of you have to make a decision about this or where do you stand on this? And so that's just another category. And I've, I was talking to my mom about this and she, her and I were just having the conversation of that's not something I ever struggled with. And I did not have the topic was not as prevalent in my generation and a lot of my friends like I did have friends that was like were experiencing that but the topic wasn't something everyone was talking about and we didn't have social media I was I think the last generation I think MySpace was what kind of got integrated was the first platform and then in 2008 or 9 I finally got a Facebook but that was my eighth ninth grade year. So now these kids are getting more information at a younger age and it's overwhelming their systems. So there's a lot more decisions to be made. So Bill, I remember us talking about in supervision that not all anxiety and fear 
are not the same thing. And in this book, Unwinding Anxiety, it says, or he states, anxiety is not the same as fear, but they are often used interchangeably. Anxiety is considered a future-oriented, long-acting response, broadly focused on a diffuse threat, whereas fear is an appropriate, present-oriented, and short-lived response to a clear, identifiable, and specific threat. And so that was a lot of words, but what it's basically saying is that fear plus uncertainty, not having enough information, equals anxiety, where your brain is like, we don't have enough information to make a decision here, so I have to basically stress or worry about this in order to again, move forward. And so it's that hamster on that wheel again that's happening where fear is adaptive. It's there's a fire, get out of the house and that's going to make me safe. It's something that kind of has a end to it. It is an action that seizes the, maybe not the threat entirely, but you're not sitting there trying to still solve the problem. Do you guys have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I like to say fear and anxiety are like first cousins that hang out with each other that are really close. They are similar, but not the same. And so part of it is a different way that I agree with everything that author defined about anxiety. Fear is, this depends upon how you define fear, what I like to say is fear and lies hang out together. And because often when there's a fear and not where there's the house is on fire, I'm afraid I need to get out of the house. That's actually a a fear, right? But it's more of, of often when there's fears we have on the inside of our soul, there's some kind of lie connected and probably name now, but that's the way I often think of, of the kind of fear that we want to get rid of. Fear, I'm afraid that I'll never measure up, afraid that no one's going to like me, and things like that. You may have said on your previous episode, but if I didn't, did I tend to liken anxiety and mentioned fire to like the fire alarm in my office? Occasionally I'll get an email that says, hey, we're going to we're going to be testing this fire alarm tomorrow morning at 8.30. I have an 8 o'clock appointment, so at least I'm in the office and I've read the email and I maybe have forgotten to tell my client, and then the fire alarm goes off. The first thing that happens for me is startle, of course, but then it's this realization, oh, wait, this is just a test. The client, whom I didn't inform, is immediately fearful, but also maybe anxious because the thinking is, okay, what do we do? I don't know what to do now. (laughs) Right. Is there a fire? Is there not a fire? What do we do with this information? And I've likened anxiety for my clients as the fire alarm, right? That this is just the test. Your nervous system's responding to a warning signal that's telling you that something's wrong, but What you don't realize is that there was an email that went out that said, no, you're good. Everything's fine. You don't have anything to be afraid of. And so being able to differentiate that and give ourselves time to think about that, right? For me, initial response, I don't, yeah, I got an email. Everything's cool. So I don't have that anxious feeling. I don't 
fear for my future or my safety. But for somebody that has anxiety, they don't get the email. They just get the fear response that comes with it and unfortunately probably sends them into fight or flight or freeze or fawn. Yeah. And that kind of brings us to, all right, where do we go from here? Obviously, this podcast is very short and very condensed, but, and we're not going to, this is not a quick fix. Nothing really is when it comes to mental health. It takes time, but to really break the anxiety cycle, the book talks about we must become aware of two things. The first is that we are getting anxious and or panicking. And then the second is what results from that anxiety and that panic. And the way that our brains are developed back in the day is things become just unconscious. Like when something is useful, our brain takes over. Like you don't have to sit here and think about blinking, right? Like our brain is already doing that. It knows that's a useful thing. But when you can really drop into your body and recognize that you're anxious, and then what does that anxiety produce? If you can really connect those two and recognize, okay, worrying about the future is really stealing from the present moment. What your brain is going to start to do is recognize that it's not useful. So it's going to drop it in the cue of things, the coping skills that are in your brain, and it will basically rewire itself. Stop automatically going to worrying because I, if I really allow myself to worry about something, it doesn't feel good. It doesn't fix anything. And so it took me a long time to recognize anxiety in myself because anxiety for me really came up as anger. And so it didn't present the way that I thought anxiety looked like. And so it was hard for me to catch. And I think that was the first step into really getting anxiety under control is how is it showing up? What does it feel like? What does it look like to you personally and work from there? Yeah, that's good. I think that's part of why we encourage people to to step into counseling, right? Is to start to unpack that. So if your initial response is, man, I get angry a lot. Why am I getting so angry? And then you go and speak to a counselor and start talking to them about your anger, but they can dive in deeper, right? What is it? What's your anger look like? What kinds of things bring up your anger? And then eventually it's, oh, wait a minute. This is anxiety, right? We can help inform some of your thinking and then obviously help you work through how to process that. What's next? And if this is what anxiety looks like for you, then what do you do with it? And how do you then turn that from anger into real thoughtful introspection and healing? And certainly with life care, we spend a lot of time helping people with their spiritual lives too and what that looks like for them and how that can bring healing and comfort and peace as well. We at Life Care Counseling and Coaching want to respond to the needs of our community and the world. In order for us to do that, we are looking for passionate clinicians and prescribers to join our staff in various locations. If you or someone you know think you could be a good fit for our mission and values, please email your resume and cover letter to info at lifecarecc.com. Learn more about Life Care at lifecarecc.com. I think, yeah, I think anxiety shows up for people in different ways. Like for me, I remember a time where I felt, actually, I couldn't 
identify that I was feeling anxious, but I recognized that I had a great deal of difficulty making a decision. Mm. And it was a very basic, easy decision, but it was a difficult time in my life. And then I finally stopped and I thought, oh, this is anxiety. I can't even make a decision. So I think it shows up for people in different ways. You know, one person anger, one person can't make a decision. Someone else, they just freeze. Someone else, it's, it's more obvious. They just are, they start talking a lot and they are, it's an obvious nervousness in their speech. Yeah, I think one of the, one of the types of anxiety we talked about a little bit, or one of the symptoms of some anxieties is the overthinking, looking back on the situation, which also ties in with social anxiety is, did I say all the right things? What did that person think of me? And so one of the ways that I see it a lot is just that questioning. Am I doing the right thing? Am I saying the right things? Did I pick the right job? Did I you know, marry the right person? What's going to happen if I go to this party, right? And so it's just question after question and no answers, right? And so people get lost in these this cycle of just looking for solutions and they can't slow down enough because of the anxiety to pause and start to apply the answers that they, that are like you said, Bill. Usually they're there. We just have to give ourselves time and space. And again, that's another a plug for us as counselors, right? Is that we can help people recognize that and then help them create the space that they need to differentiate between fire and a fire alarm or hey there's not a bear that we're not in mortal danger right now that if we would just step back from from the fear that's coming up again i know i'm using that word a little under interchangeably if we can step back for a second and give our nervous system time to slow down right because again we haven't really talked about all the physical symptoms of anxiety but oftentimes our heart rate increases our breathing grows more shallow we start to sweat our palms get sweaty things like that when people start to experience that what they don't realize is there are skills we can learn and start to practice that help us manage the symptoms and then give ourselves time to start to think about what what we need to think about a little more clearly less intensely maybe yeah this might be a big stretch but this is something that's really been I think marinating in my brain when it comes to, if I'm not mistaken, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Jesus is the breath of life or God is the breath of life. And so I think it's ironic that when we are panicking or there's fear, all of a sudden we can't breathe. And I don't know, maybe that's something, maybe it's nothing, but there is a verse that my my mom often speaks over me and it's that perfect love drives out fear. And I think that comes back to the therapeutic relationship of being able to really sit with our clients in these moments of fear or panic or just the things that they're really struggling with and how just sitting with them and loving with like loving on them and being with them can drive out that fear and they get their life back. They're not controlled by this fear. And again, it takes time, a process, but that's been something that I've really wondered, like in order to come out of a panic attack or really any big feeling of anxiety where we can't breathe, we have to focus on our breath. We have to come back to the present. And I think 
that's just always been something that's, I think there's a deeper connection there. Is there anything else that you guys want to let our listeners know or that's been on your heart or on your mind while we have been digesting this topic? Yeah, there's something that we haven't mentioned. We defined in the previous episode what anxiety is by definition, but I think it's important for our listeners to know that anxiety is normal. It's a normal part of life that when it starts to disrupt your day-to-day life, when it starts to make school or work or relationships or other areas of your life difficult, that's when it's time to start to consider talking to someone about it, that it is treatable, right? We can help people manage their anxiety. In a future episode, we'll have a couple of other providers who are psychiatric providers that will talk about medication and pharmaceutical responses to some of the disorders that we treat. But talking to a counselor is always a good place to start. I remember someone I met with and they had some mild OCD things come up that was relatively new in his adult life. And so we began to work through some of the roots that was, by the way, OCD is under the banner of anxiety. I believe we all have a bent towards either depression or anxiety. It could be a small bent, be a larger bent. And so his was in that direction. And he really did a great job. We prayed through things. We worked through things. He did his homework really well. And he just got into some incredible freedom. And I was happy for him. And then one session he said to me, he wants to keep an edge of anxiety. And I said to him, you what? And he said he wants to keep this is how I remember it. He wants to keep an edge of anxiety. And so I said to him, why? And he said, when he can begin to feel some of that anxiety, then he wants the Lord to use that to drive him towards the Lord, keep him dependent upon the Lord. And I remember listening to him and I sense the Lord say to me, Bill, listen to him. So I looked at him and I said, all right. And so as opposed to I want this all gone forever, he got worked through the core of it. and But then he was more concerned about remaining dependent on the Lord. And so he would listen to his anxiety when it would begin to stir inside of him. He would say, Lord, what is it? What is it that's going on inside of me that feeling uncomfortable here? And then I believe the Lord would show him what's going on. And so his anxiety turned into a tool that helped him in relating to others. He ended up becoming a pastor. And so he did had lots of relational experiences, people there and helping them. So... I just thought that was really interesting where in my mind, I was just, let's get it all gone. And I think the Lord had something very different back to what Stephen said about there's some normal some normality there. Be anxious for nothing, scripture says, yeah, but if it comes up, then what happens? <laughs> and, and I think one opposite 
of anxiety is trust. And so we can, if it can lead us to then turn and to trust in someone, i.e. the Lord, and to trust in, a, in someone, even another person that we need to trust, then it's a good thing. Yeah, he did the work to become more mindful of what was going on inside of him instead of just becoming the anxiety or jumping on the wave because a lot of again you're younger and I talk a lot about my clients because they're younger but like our prefrontal cortex is the part of our brain that really develops last and becoming aware and mindful is a skill that needs to be than practice because that's not something we're born with like our brain develops over time and it it sounds like he really did the work to really become aware of what was going on and discern what is a feeling that he can like a wave that you decide to ride or not and I that takes a lot of skill and work would you remind a little bit Right. Paul talks about the thorn in his side, right? That it was never removed. And so there was always some level of awareness that, hey, we still need to rely on the Lord. And and in that, your client held on to the thorn in his side, if you will, to remind him of the Lord. And I do encourage a lot of clients, the to your point, Yolanda, is not to be afraid of or not to be missionary to the things that are coming up for them. So whether it's anxiety or if it's fear or if it's an anger or whatever the negative emotion is, but then to, to tune into it, like, like your client is doing bill and ask yourself, okay, wait a minute, what is this? Why is this coming up? This it's an indic. Like, I think the word that came up for me, Bill, was a, it was like a dashboard light going off. Right. It's like, you need to check your engine. Something's going on here, but that doesn't mean you're not going to make it where you're going. So let's just tune right. in and see what it is that's happening under the hood so that we can just and then repair. And so all of this together works towards that end is becoming aware of our anxiety comes up or anger comes up and then getting really curious, right? Okay, Lord, what's going on? What do you need to show me? What is it that that I need to work on next. Anxiety is an emotion and being able to manage the emotion is to be aware of the emotion, become aware of it and then manage it, know what to do with it. And I think bringing the Lord into it through prayer and through just being curious instead of reactionary or critical, again, is something that takes, definitely takes practice. But I think that means there's hope of growth that we can do to get there. You're not stuck. You don't have to be controlled or managed by your anxiety. You can start managing it, which is, that's cool. I think that's where the hope is. Just out of curiosity, Bill, have you ever had anybody say, or maybe Have you heard people say, if you have anxiety or fear, then you have a faith problem? Never heard that say it just like that. Yeah. Why do you ask? I ask just because, not to stereotype us here a little bit, but 
the old school versus new school mentality. A lot of people my age, mental health, there was a stigma. And in the church, a lot of people that I know that are my age heard their parents say, if you have fear, you have anxiety, then your faith isn't big enough. And so that was definitely a small piece of church hurt that people experienced. And I was just curious if either one of you guys had heard that or how you would even like what your response to that would be. I was just curious if you guys had ever heard that before. I think I I certainly have in the sense of condemning statement, your faith isn't big enough. And so the the danger of how that's being said and how that can just really not do what someone might hope it intends. I hope, I hope if I say it that way, then your faith will get bigger, but it doesn't really work right. out that way. And so I think as counselors, we want to step back and get underneath it and say, how did that affect you? And because Jesus certainly challenged his disciples and others, why we, why couldn't we get this spirit out of this person? And that's so your faith is pretty small. But he had built a relationship with them over one, two, and three years. So he has a way of saying that. So that I think we have to just to be careful. And as counselors, we just want to come underneath and understand what's going on here with your fear. Let's understand is it kind of fear where you run away from a fire or is it an irrational fear where it has a lie-based and anxiety also. And in the context of that, what does it look like to implement faith? Just believe in what you believe. What if, how can that come in a way that's uplifting and encouraging? Yeah, that's well said. Because I do think what you're saying is there's a difference between challenging the people that we truly know and truly love and truly are walking with versus just slapping on a sentence that we think will be a quick fix and then ends up really doing some hurt and some damage. One of my favorite interventions is the hands prayer for those that are believers in Jesus. And I say, we put your hands together like you're drinking water out of a stream and picture their Jesus hand, their big hands. They can hold the whole world. They can handle everything. And then first put in fears, fear of rejection and fear of failure, fear of spiders, any fears. And then put in worries and anxieties. Uh, this might take a few minutes for people. And then put in stressors because stress comes from the outside. Fear and anxiety on the inner, inside, there's an interplay between the two. Called to manage stress, called to cast out fear, anxiety. And then after that, I say, oh Lord, anything else? Wait and Nothing comes to the mind. I said, okay, now start putting people in. Put in your friends, put in your family. Put people you don't like in. They're like enemies. You can put them in the far side of God's hand if you want to. Just put them way over there. And, and then last but not least, put who in? You. Self. That's right. Because the sooner you realize you're not in control and God is, the better off you'll be. And so with non-biological anxiety, and you can talk more about Dr. Ballantyne, the non-biological anxiety, there should be more peace. A lot of peace. And 
I knew one lady who'd struggled with panic attacks and she took it really seriously and it really helped. He would just keep putting things in, hand, in his hands and it continued to help. One lady complained, well, great, I'll just be putting stuff into his hands all day long, taking it out, forgetting and putting it back in. <laughs> and I said, oh, that's terrible. That's like you'll be praying all day long. And she just looked at me and said, okay, I get it. And so there's a trust thing. I, am I going to trust these hands or not? Is this some super spiritual thing or is it actually psychological? And I think it's, and so it is for some people, it's a helpful exercise to help decrease their anxiety. Yeah, it reminds me of the container exercise that we use, actually, right? It's just a different version, right? It's a, a holy version, but having a container or a space that's big enough and strong enough, and certainly God's hands are, but as many people as I've taught that version of it, the container version, yeah, as long as they'll put it in the box and, or the container, may or may not be a box, but as long as they'll faithfully put their worries or their fears into the container and put it aside, they find relief. If they can't, can't, leave it in the closet or in the cave on the, the mountaintop or wherever it is that they store their container, then they're going to continue to have worries. And I think that the same kind of principle applies, right? Is how much do you trust your container? Or how much do you trust God with his ability to protect you from these things or to heal you from them if they're, if they're wounds? But yeah, I think that those are really good examples of interventions that that we apply. And Yolanda, you mentioned earlier, just the breath of God, the idea that anxiety takes your breath away, typically it makes it, it feels difficult to breathe, but um, practicing deep breathing and really focusing and tuning into your breathing, taking in the breath of God, right, is another intervention that for me is foundational for all of my clients that are dealing with anxiety or any other kind of worry is, okay, just breathe. Let's just focus on breathing for now and as we know, that's the root of mindfulness as well, is just focus on your breath. We can get people to practice that. Pretty good start. Yeah, I think it's also really important to find ways to combine body, mind, and spirit. Mm -hmm. And so anything that we can do, even if it is a visual meditation of putting something in somebody's hands, that does give us a sense of choice and control. And anxiety is a lot about that. And so giving us the ability to really sync up our bodies and our minds and our spirit is really helpful because it regulates the whole ecosystem. Um, if we think about us as walking little worlds, it's really important to get everything regulated and that includes our body, mind, and spirit. So I love anything that whether it's visualizations or writing letters or breathing or visualizing that container, it's very helpful. I love that. Bill, thank you. It's been a pleasure. I'm so grateful to be on your team. I'm so glad you're with Life Care and you too, Stephen. You are great. It's been a pleasure to have you on. We look forward to having you on future episodes. All right. All right. See you guys. Thanks for listening to Let's Start Here, a podcast by Life Care Counseling and Coaching. At Life Care Counseling and Coaching, we are passionate about serving others by integrating the best mental health practices and spiritual care for the soul. 
Find out more or schedule an appointment at lifecarecc.com. Follow us on Facebook at Life Care Counseling or Instagram at Life Care Counsel Coach. If you found the information in this podcast helpful, please consider leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts as this helps more people find our show. This show is produced at Podcast Carry.